1: We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour. Living the Eternal Way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join in the discussion, email us at the yogahour at unityonlineradio.org. Now, here's your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. <laughs>
2: Good morning and welcome to the Yoga Hour, a time to open our hearts and minds to the infinite. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo sitting in for Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien while she's away. Today I'll be sharing some insights and time-tested practices from the ancient system of Kriya Yoga. Yoga is a Sanskrit word that is familiar to many today that actually means oneness, union, or unity. The bringing together of our attention and awareness with our essential spiritual nature to be restored to our original wholeness. Many people associate the term yoga with exercise alone. Kriya Yoga is a wider system including philosophy and practice for spiritually conscious fulfilled living in today's world. And today we have a very timely topic, higher awareness and the political process. Given the election next week, I know this is a topic that's on a lot of people's minds. How can we change politics so that it contributes to healing and a positive transformation in our society and in our world? How can we move beyond left and right thinking to a more transpartisan approach of social reform and national reconciliation? And how can we as individuals contribute to the vision for a revitalized America and a healed and peaceful world? Today, my guest is Stephen Dynan the founder and CEO of the Shift Network, which is dedicated to help humanity evolve and create a sustainable, healthy, peaceful, and prosperous world through its transformational educational programs. Stephen is the author of the book we are focusing on today, Sacred America, Sacred World, Fulfilling Our Mission in Service to All. So welcome, Stephen Dine, and I'm delighted that you could join us today on the Yoga Hour.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
2: Before we begin to enter into our dialogue about higher awareness and the political process, let's begin with a moment of meditation. Oh. Let's start this morning by turning our attention within. Our breath is a wonderful tool to help us bring our attention and awareness to the present moment, wherever we are and whatever we're doing. So let's start by taking a fully conscious breath, just noticing as we inhale and exhale. Not trying to change it, just noticing the breath's natural flow. Cool air entering the nostrils and warm air flowing out. In this moment, we can dive within and open our hearts to the divine. One reality called by many names is the support and substance of all that is. Right where we are, right here and now, this divine essence is present as you, as me, as everyone and everything. It's within us, between us, and all around us. Just by being present now and noticing, we can rest in this essence of our being. We notice thoughts and feelings as they arise and as they pass away. We become aware of our essential nature beyond words and thoughts beyond all change, beyond thought and sensation, pure existence being. We feel the peace that emanates from the essence of our being. We allow it to pervade the mental field, the emotional nature, and the physical body. We abide in this peace and let it overflow as blessing for all beings everywhere. Once again, Stephen Dinan, welcome to the Yoga
3: Hour. Hmm, thank you for that lovely way to open the day here.
2: So, as I mentioned, as everyone knows, the presidential election is happening next week. So, we are speaking at a time when there's a tremendous focus on politics. Your book, Sacred America, Sacred World, prevents a vision of what America can become socially and politically. So, how have your views of politics and the importance of being involved in politics changed over time? Mm.
3: When I was growing up, my father was the city attorney for Duluth, Minnesota, which was a politically appointed position. And so he was a bit at the whims of different mayors and the city council. And so he had to kind of bridge between uh, warring factions. And so in some ways growing up, I had a bit of a more of a negative uh, perception of politics because it introduced some fear into our household about our my father's uh, potential future. And uh, but he managed to weather all the storms and demonstrate how to be a bridge builder between different sides. I then, like in my twenties and early thirties, I really went on a path of personal growth and development and spiritual growth and and the way that I took that path was the way a lot of people did is it sort of dis it disentangled from the worldly activities in many ways and focused right, more right. on the inner life and there's a lot of uh, systems that we've inherited which have essentially kind of reified this distinction between the more enlightened life and the and the worldly and political life. And I think that uh, it's time for us to let some of those distinctions go and to actually merge them into one whole life in which we are doing our deep spiritual work. And we're marrying that with the political process and our engagement in the community so that we're really making our world be a reflection of the divine truth and reality that we've tapped into. So it took a while for to see how those threads could come together. For me, uh, the 2004 campaign of Dennis Kucinich for president was a turning point because I felt like he was speaking some of these deep metaphysical truths, deep spiritual truths and wetting them with a very progressive sensibility and an inspiring vision for what our country could become. Got very involved in that campaign and and ignited a whole road tour of people. We had music and poetry and inspirational talks. We, call, we called them Kucinich convergences, uh, <laughs> and uh, it kind of it, it opened for me this possibility of bringing heart and soul into the political process. Right. And that can feel a little bit hard to even fathom right now because we've had such a combat focused, um, harsh, po- poisonous kind of political culture, and this has probably been our worst year ever. And so there's a natural reaction for people who have become more open and sensitized to sometimes want to retract from that and and pull back and say, oh, that's like a corrupted world. It's dirty. And we want to just be in a kind of more pure vibration. Mm -hmm. But actually, I don't I don't believe that's fundamentally spiritual. It's not actually better for us to do that because we abdicate decision making to less conscious forces. And ultimately, we need to have the most enlightened awareness and consciousness possible making the decisions that have the biggest impact on the future of our planet and that has to do with you know economics and right civil rights and taking care of the environment so we need the the yogis and mystics and and uh, spiritual open hearted people to fully engage the political process but they have but it has to come from a different source it's not about it's not about just winning one side over another. It's about lifting the process to create a more enlightened Republican Party and a more enlightened Democratic Party. It's about healing some of the schisms and rifts that, that start to tear people asunder. And so part of the reason I wrote the book, Sacred America, Sacred World, is really to speak into this and and to see look at what does a sacred politics look like, one in which we take very seriously the, the dignity and divinity in everyone, including people who think very differently. If we're, uh, you know, if we're a Democrat, like right now, like very hard to fathom the Trump supporters. And yet to respect and honor that they have their own um, mission, if you will, on this planet, that they're that they're developing and working through and to be able to honor them, even while we have a different perspective. And for the other side, if we're more conservative, to be able to understand and and um, and not just demonize the people who support Hillary Clinton. Um, And so there's. There's a way in which our media has created this echo chamber that reinforces uh, reinforces our separation and reinforces this sense of warring camps. And it actually, what we really need to do is lift that whole process to the next level. So sometimes, right. like with an addict, when you bottom out, you can, there's an opportunity to to wake up and and to another path. And so I'm hopeful that this year is effectively a bottoming out of that process and mm-hmm. opens the pathway to potentially um, really growing a more sacred evolutionary culture in the United States. And so my book is, it really paints the picture of how we do that, the inner work as well as the outer work. And it is a transpartisan vision. I have endorsements from both left and right. And it's um, even though I'm a progressive by, in my heart and by my nature, I went to the Republican national convention as well as mm-hmm. to the democratic national convention. I've been on many conservative radio shows and, and there's definitely a hunger for, more voices in the political sphere that are 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 calling for that not just a, a kind of a you know tolerating each other but actually to really honor and revere each other as different expressions of one source and to and to move from oneness rather than division
2: yes and i I just really love that about your book. Um, you really describe. Um, many of the changes that are happening in the world is a process of becoming one people on earth, which really is the yoga vision um, that, you know, yoga philosophy holds that we are, we are really one and that there is one supreme consciousness, as I, you know, focused on in the meditation, that is the source and substance of everyone and everything that is. And our job is to realize this truth for ourselves and then to live from that truth. So what I really appreciated about the book is it had such a positive vision and was very hopeful and, and had some solutions. So, let's talk about this sacred worldview that you describe in the book and, and how it differs from, I love that you talked about it as an as a operating system, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, we're, we're evolving toward this, you know, this next level of operating system. Um, and the one that we are coming from is this Rational, individual, materialistic paradigm that's been predominant, and that we're really, you know, moving toward this sacred worldview, uh, where you know we are really not just American citizens, but we're really global citizens. So, can you describe that worldview? Well,
3: the worldview, first of all. In a sacred world, we really see everything as an emanation of the divine and that we ourselves are connected to a deeper divinity, that we're a, a, a little godlet, a little droplet of God.
4: <laughs> right. Right. <laughs>
3: planet that we are we are expressions of this divine consciousness and, and every mystical tradition every lineage has exemplars who have realized that state of being in which there is an essential oneness and that there is a union with the christ or union with brahman or there's there's a there's a deeper divinity that becomes uh, self-evident And we have to take those uh, consciousness explorers seriously, and also take our own experiences that point that way seriously. And and at the at the end of the day, we we begin those experiences point us to this this whole realm is a shimmering field of grace on a certain level. That it's all 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 the substance of the world is a reflection of a a higher frequency of. of reality, And that, you know, there's good science backing up that we are connected at a distance. Things like psychic abilities are being well documented now that, we, you know, we can communicate with people on the other side of the world. So there's there the sacred world is it's not just a, a wishful thinking. It's There's like real evidence that backs it up. And so when we when we relate to something in a sacred way, it shifts uh, the ground of how we relate instead of trying to control it or dominate it or use it for egoic purposes. We're relating to something as, first of all, an expression of ourself. Second of all, as something that's worthy of being respected and honored and even reverence. So it's a heart-centered relationship. It's a, it's a relationship that's that unites rather than divides. And so when we bring sacred in America together, people can get a little nervous thinking it's like, oh, America triumphant, triumphant over the rest of the world and we're so great and chest-thumping. But <coughs> I actually... Feel we need to combine two different streams. One is this very deep honoring of the sacred impulse that has expressed through our country It's founded in our in a, in our founding documents and say principles and life you know liberty and the pursuit of happiness liberty justice justice for all e pluribus unum out of many one. There's these are very high principles that have been embedded in the in the foundation of our country really as a kind of a mission. So I think of America having a spiritual mission to demonstrate what a society that is, that really balances unity and diversity uh, looks like that has oneness at the core while allowing for the full human expression of all the different uh, beautiful streams of culture and consciousness in the world. So, we haven't fully expressed that yet. We're still in the growing pains of growing into our adulthood and maturity as a country. We can still be a bit um, braggadocio and full of ourselves and and warlike, and and all of that is, you know, in some ways part of a reflection of it's like we're maturing, and we don't want to just judge it and and hate our country. We want to say. It's like we do with the child. It's like you—you know—the child goes through a phase where, like, I'm the king of the world, you know, and uh, you want to say, "Okay, great, you're the king of the world," and there's other kings of the world too. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and so we have to we have to kind of in a way be patient, loving, and um, respectful about how America is growing into our next potential, while trusting that there is this deeper divine unfolding un, un, underneath it, and to and to relate to our country in a sacred way. So I think that when we do that, it actually gives us the credibility and uh, opportunity to do deep shadow work on the culture, to look at where where have we misused power, how have we um committed genocide in the native peoples how have we uh you know mis- misused power with slavery and and still the racism that the that- festers in our country and how- where have we um you know interfered in the business of other countries in a way that's very destructive so so we have to do that shadow work but if we have to do it with from a stance of love and respect and honoring that we're in this developmental process it actually is easier for everybody to take so to People on the right tend to err on the side of patriotic pride that, that doesn't want to look at the harder truths sometimes. People on the left tend to be like so critical of some of the harder truths that they're, that there's oftentimes not a genuine sense of love and respect for the country. And so I think that we have to kind of fuse some of the, some of the, some of the best of both sides that so we're, so we're being rigorous and self, self-aware and that allows us to grow into a next level but we're but we're also being loving patient and respectful about the process and so i think that america as we do that we will become more and more of a shining light unto the world so we move beyond being an empire to being um, a global steward that we're our our leadership and our power is in service to the thriving of the whole planet
2: oh exactly that i love that um that image of ourselves, um, each other as sacred, which allows you to listen from a different place um, with curiosity and respect, uh, which we'll hopefully get a chance to turn to in the uh, next section. So, um, Let's go go ahead and go to the break. You're listening to the yoga hour with guest Stephen Dinan, author of the book Sacred America Sacred World: Fulfilling Our Mission in Service to All. You can find out more about Stephen at his websites stephendynan.com and it's n.com and the shiftnetwork.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya O'Brien. Please stay with us. We'll be right back.
5: Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever.
4: Did you know that the Buddha gave us the formula to create a beautiful, abundant life? Did you know that Jesus gave us the formula to create a beautiful, abundant life? Did you know that both these masters taught exactly the same thing? And guess what? They did not teach the law of attraction. They taught the great paradox of prosperity. You can have anything you want. Why? You can have things you don't even know you want, but not by wanting them. Instead, put your attention on the vibrant presence of the divine within. Do that and your life will change. It has to. That is the natural order. Want to crack the code on the great paradox? Get Janet Connors' The Lotus and the Lily. Available everywhere great books are sold. If I were brave, I'd walk the razor edge Where fools and dreamers dare to tread And never lose faith
5: How is life working for you? Would it be okay with you if life got easier, simpler, yet more meaningful and vibrant? Join certified life coach Carla McClellan Tuesday afternoons for Vibrant Living. Each week, Coach Carla and her guests will share strategies and solutions designed to make your life more vibrant. Is there something in your life you'd like help with? A dream you'd like to achieve? A relationship you'd like to improve? Call into the show toll-free for Coaching with Carla. That's Vibrant Living, Life Coaching with Carla, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Central on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
4: What if we're all meant to do
1: what we secretly dream? You're listening to The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to The Yoga Hour.
2: Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for the Yoga Hour's regular host, Yogacharya O'Brien. Our guest today is Stephen Dinan, author of the book, Sacred America, Sacred World, Fulfilling Our Mission in Service to All. He's also the founder and CEO of the Shift Network, which is dedicated to creating a sustainable, healthy, peaceful, and prosperous world through its transformational educational programs. In this segment, we're going to be talking about our own role in the changing American paradigm. So, Stephen, I I really appreciated that you acknowledge the value of all political parties in your book and stress the importance of treating others whose views may differ from our own with respect and curiosity. So, and one of the things you point out in the book is that learning to respect and honor the full political spectrum leads to actually a stronger end result than comedic. Uh, competing with a political enemy so let's talk about you know right and left and what they what they each bring to the you know to the whole picture, which, as you've pointed out, when we're moving to uh, uh, this new level, this vision that you talk about of, you know, sacred America and a sacred world, we really need to bring everybody along and that all political parties really have something to contribute. So what do you see as the higher principle that the right or conservatism brings to the process of cultural change?
3: Well, you can see it. So, I mean, there's one part of it that's in the language, conservatism versus progressive Progressivism. So in conservatives are, are in some ways more focused on what do we need to conserve, what do we need to preserve and conserve. And progressives are more like how do we need to progress in some other way and we need to change how we're doing things. And so that, that tension, there's a dynamic tension in the evolution of a society between preserving what's healthy and good and helpful and what and and shifting to what needs to be what what's what's even higher or better in different ways and so you want to have that healthy tension because if you undermine the the, the fabric of society and the and the uh, the foundations on which we've built something too quickly it can really lead things to break down there was there was a conserv- a republican that I used to work with who used to say you know I, the way i see it Progressives are always trying to change things, and my job is to slow them down. Mm. <laughs> and, <laughs> right, right. So there's there's a truth in that. I also think there's a truth, there there are core truths around um, the root of self responsibility. There's a real focus on the right in terms of taking full responsibility for the outcomes in our life, not being a victim of other forces, and so taking response that that is part of the the distrust of of government interventions that it fosters a certain kind of uh, psychological dependency. Which doesn't help people thrive and so there's a focus on that self-responsibility and entrepreneurship and, and and there's there's a building of power for self that's very important to create the foundations of a healthy society and sometimes on the left there's more of a there's more of an impulse to share that to 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 share that with more people particularly people who have been downtrodden or victimized or or somehow been on the lower end of Uh, the, 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 low end of the bargain, uh, of the society as well. And that's in some ways a more, it's a more feminine impulse to take care of the entire family in a certain way. And no, it's not, you know, there's definitely, there's a genuine concern, care and concern on the, on the right as well. But in a way that the focus tends to be a little bit more on the masculine self-responsibility up from the bootstraps, tough kind of energies, a little bit of tough love on the right. And there's more of like the generosity, which can can shade into indulgence on the left, which is a, a more feminine. And so George Lakoff has, has said, you know, many ways the Republican Party sort of embodies more of the father energy and the um and the Democratic Party more of the mother energy. And so what we ultimately want in a family is to have mom and dad getting along. <laughs> right. <laughs> we don't want them at war with each other. We want to say right. dad's great, mom's great. They're great in different ways and that they're right. complementary virtues here. So so in, the Greeks had a great um, word called antelokuthia. It, it basically meant that you, a virtue in the absence of other virtues is no longer a virtue. So sometimes, if we're into the self-reliance and, and uh, self-responsibility, that is a virtue. But if you don't also add in compassion and concern and generosity, it can become narcissistic and self-involved in a way that doesn't serve. And say on the on the other side, the left, <clears throat> without the complementary virtues of the right, can become. Um, you know, a little bit too squishy, too general, <clears throat> like not enough boundaries, not enough clarity on things, and it can kind of, you know, frankly, um, a lot of times companies that are run by conservatives are more disciplined and focused and and uh, oftentimes profitable. And so that's so, so. What I what I learned in my own journey is I was very hard left in many ways, and I needed to integrate more principles from the right uh, in order to create a successful company. And so. I think that, um, and I learned that I, I consciously undertook an apprenticeship with my Republican father-in-law who, who was very tough, very tough on me, but, but also made it clear, you know, I made it clear that there was certain qualities of that toughness that were important and necessary for me to be a successful entrepreneur. So I think that like, uh, like when we really step back and say, In the widest possible picture, we are here to actualize as much of our potential as we can. And so our our full potential includes the qualities, virtues, and strengths of both sides, and includes both feminine and masculine. So it doesn't serve us to only identify with one side and only say this side is valid and this is important, and the other side is wrong and bad. And so when we're in this climate where we're doing warfare between the sides, We start identifying more and more with certain qualities and denigrating qualities on the other side in a way that ultimately undermines not only our society but our own developmental potential. <clears throat> right, which is
2: why, which is why I mentioned, you know, this thing about um, respecting and honoring this full political spectrum really neat le- leads to a stronger end result. Um, so, in these interactions with others who have different political views from ourselves, the yogic practice of dispassionate non-attachment is a really helpful tool. So, um, dispassionate non-attachment is a, a teaching about non-attachment to material things, and also teaching about generosity, but but it's also teaching about being non attached to our own views. Um, when we're uh, not attached to our own views, we still hold views, um, but we are more open to learning from others. We're not so attached to our own views that we can't discover um areas of potential unity, you know, with someone else. So, one of the things I appreciated in the book, which you've actually talked about a little bit already, is this political cross-training. <laughs> so, you mentioned you went to both, you know, the Republican and the Democratic conventions and you've worked with your father-in-law. So, why is it important? Why? What, in your view, is the benefit of doing this political cross-training?
3: Well, in physical cross training, the concept is if we're just if we're just doing football all the time, we're not necessarily training our nervous system and, and musculature in a certain way. So you might do some ballet; it, it opens up some uh, a different kind of sens- sensibility in your body, and so that's why. That's why so much, uh, so many people who are top athletes do some level of cross training because it strengthens our body. Same thing with political tra- cross training is that if we're just hanging out with people who think like us, we're not being challenged to grow in a certain way. Where are we have? Uh, unexamined assumptions we have uh, beliefs that it may be lopsided we and we also don't have to hone our understanding in a certain way and so political cross-training is saying you know what we're better we're we're better citizens we're better people if we engage fully across different political perspectives and so that's part of why i went i'm you know by i feel much more at home on the democratic side but i went to the republican convention and at, at times i felt a little bit like oh god what am i doing here in the in stadium <laughs> but uh, yeah. but you know i had i ended up having some good conversations it was not it was not as edgy as i was expecting it to be and and um, you know, and it really teaches me how, like, even people that have, hold very different perspectives, I can learn from and engaging with them. Sometimes it, it helps to surface assumptions. I'll give an example, like uh, uh, some a friend who's very engaged in this work had recommended reading uh, a book called Liberal Fascism. And and normally I would never touch a book like that, but I was like I picked it up and and I and I read the first fifteen or twenty pages, and it rewired something It made me understand how so much of the progressive change initiatives can feel like a, a fascist imposition on conservatives that we're forcing force feeding change down people's throats, and that creates a, a natural reaction to that, and um and I think that that's that's a really important recognition. So just by reading something from a very alternative perspective it forced me to to examine my own assumptions and understand a bit more about how change is created because the healthiest kind of change is where both sides change rather than one side imposing through force which is most of the model that we see and witness right now in politics is that you're actually having a, a like a reciprocity of shifting that's going on and so you're integrating some of what the other polarity might represent And over time, that creates a that creates stronger programs. It also makes change more, um, more coherent and less uh, chaotic. So you're so you're not having warring factions in the society. So so I think it's it, it also and it also people feel when they feel seen and respected, something shifts. I did this whole process with the Sarah with Sarah Palin when she was the 2008 nominee, where I really didn't like her, and I I took it on as a practice to to say, can I find the the place where I can really respect and honor her and kind of open my heart to her? And I read both of her books and. I ended up having a dream where she shows up and we're friends and hug. And I ended up writing an article publicly for Huffington Post called Dissolving the Palin Prejudice. And uh, I got a lot of fan mail from conservatives who felt like they they felt seen and respected in a way they generally didn't by by people on the left. And I also felt their pain of feeling like, wow, here's their first female nominee who's just uh, for the Republican Party who is – um, just getting trashed left and right, and and how painful that was for them, and how much it landed as a personal affront. So political cross training is it just it strengthens us, and it also opens the doorway to a deeper kind of dialogue and um, and collaborative process to really to create solutions that really work for the whole society.
2: Right, and you you've used this term, which I I actually really really like, the transpartisan. You know, so how do we get to this transpartisan world? So how, how, how do we get there? How do you see us moving from these deep seated views from the right and the left and particularly these echo chambers that you've already mentioned, you know, where we get news from different, you know, places. And so there's just, it just really seems very difficult to, um, to, you know, move beyond. I guess part of it you've already mentioned, you know, which is for everyone to do the kind of political cross training huh. that you've just
3: mentioned. It can happen through reading books. I think Sacred America, Sacred World is a great book to read uh, because, you know, and, and frankly, I've, you know, a lot of people have told me it's created some very healing conversations between schisms people like, you know, brothers and sisters who are fighting in families and then they find, oh, there's actually a way to talk about these things that there's more common ground than than we think. And it's it's sometimes about a framing and a mutual respect and honoring. Uh, but I also think beyond that, it's like reading, like whatever your uh, predisposition is, to read some stuff from the other side. You can do it as a daily thing. I like to go to Real Clear Politics, read a read a bit from right and left every day, and that's um, that's sort of part of my political practice, if you will. I think it's also important to get in the room with people and really understand them. Um, You can sometimes do that with media just by watching things that are a little out of the wheelhouse. I was just watching a a great segment that a woman had created where she had uh, undocumented immigrants and Trump supporters. and They had them alternate behind a glass wall. So one is witnessing the other and then the other witnessing, then she puts them all together. And that creates some real breakthrough moments of like Mm -hmm. mutual recognition. So when we can cross a divide, a political divide, um, there's, there's a great template for... Living room conversations that has been created. You search yes. for living room conversations. We actually,
2: we actually had the living room conversations. Uh, uh, Cecily uh, Andrews, I think is her name. We had her on the on the Yoga Hour. Um, I think it was a year and a half ago or so. So, I, I love the idea, you know, of, of of interacting with others like this because, again, you know, it does get us to this, you know, this uh, mutual uh, curiosity and respect. However, um, this particular presidential campaign has been a really hard one and the rhetoric has been really divisive. Yoga philosophy emphasizes that words really do have power. And we've we've seen that in our history. So it's one thing to respect the views of others and raise our consciousness to be inclusive of a spectrum of of opinions that others have. But what do we do when views really become hate rhetoric? And so, what you know, like you're a transpartisan visionary, and then the views of others really you know can potentially um, incite violence. So what what's our responsibility in that?
3: Well, I think that we have to do a couple of things. I mean, we have to, first of all, we have to stay engaged and we have to vote. So I think the ultimately we evolve beyond these things by voting them down. Uh, we, we, and it's not through ha- meeting hate, hatred with hatred. There's love, there's love, but there's also firmness and, and there's also a call for something higher that a higher, a call to higher commitments and that has to happen in a transpartisan way. And so I think that there's, um, you know, for instance, I have the idea this year for a, Abe, uh, an Abe Lincoln uh, pledge that becomes a left and right pledge, where people, com- politicians, are committing to holding themselves and others in their own political party accountable for truth telling, mm-hmm. um, and so and so that that can be something like Grover Norquist did with the no tax pledge that could be very powerful um, mm-hmm. across the aisle. I think in this case, um, I you know I I support Hillary, and I do feel that uh, Trump. Trump, even while I can see and recognize good things in him and I understand the motive behind him, I do think he represents some real dangers to um, to America. And so I, I have tried to walk this line of, of, of being very transpartisan this year and offering a lot of common ground and inspiring vision of where we're going. while will also um, take, you know, taking a stand in a respectful way that I don't believe that um, D- Donald Trump give, is going to take us into the path that we need to grow into and uh, and so it's it's a kind of it's a it's a balance you know it's not becoming transpartisan doesn't mean you you don't have a view it doesn't mean you can be a transpartisan progressive a transpartisan republican a transpartisan green whatever whatever your thing whatever your thing is but so i think that all of us have to also look at what is our contribution where do we propagate hate rhetoric where do we exaggerate where do we even Exaggeration is a form of lying, and when people feel like they're deceptively presented in a dishonoring way, they tend to escalate back and, and go up. Mm-hmm. So, so as um, for instance, on the left, where have we created Donald Trump and some of the re- the, the rhetoric that he's generating mm-hmm. by the way that we've engaged the right? And that's an right, interesting right. question, and it, and it takes more responsibility for it. Um, it doesn't mean that it it makes it any less imperative to take a stand and and to be active. But to but to not, it's it's a challenge to not meet hate with hate. But it's the only thing that really evolves um, our society. It's something that Gandhi and Martin Luther King and many people have shown us that you really have to engage with the best in somebody to call that forth, and uh, and and to help to to uh, minimize the, the the lower brain activity. Because right now, once ha- once we go into fight or flight and get into those lower brain centers, we get very Primitive, instinctual, reactionary, and aggressive, and it often tends to keep escalating. So I think there is a very real danger of us escalating to a level of of civil war and potential violence in our in our country. And that's part of why I think this work is really important. Part of why we're doing a day of healing and reconciliation after the election. We're going to have conservative... You know, people are like, you're crazy. We get with messages from Ben Carson right next to Reverend Al Sharpton. And uh, so we're, we're trying to span the spectrum there and show that, okay, we, it's time for healing and reconciliation after this election. It's not going to happen in one day, but it but we can, it, we can plant some important seeds and really get people involved. So if, if people are, are yeah. motivated by that, we'd love to see a lot of unity churches activate um, events that are part of that. We're broadcasting from D.C. for two hours and then, there'll be an hour where people at local um, churches and centers can then engage their own healing and reconciliation process. So you can Mm -hmm. find that at dayofhealing.us.
2: Great. Thank you for that. So let's get back to something that we touched on a little bit in the first uh, segment, which is this this really um, willingness on our part to look at our shadow side. So one of the things that your book does is um, really – obviously presents this vision for the evolving paradigm of americans as global citizens but as you said uh it almost talking about you know sacred america it almost sounds a little little worrisome uh, because of the world (laughs) yeah because of the you know because of the history um you know that america has and in particular looking at the two populations that you mentioned, you know, Native Americans and the African American populations, as well as our misuse of power in the world. So what do you see as the importance of, of looking at these
3: issues? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it's just, it's important for a lot of reasons. I mean, think about it on a personal level. If we're talking about growing to our next level as leaders, if, if we have stuff that's in the closet that we've, we're ashamed of, that we've denied, that we've suppressed, that often is like poison. That's that's leading to addictions. It's leading to all sorts of delusional behavior. It can lead to inflation and mental uh, mental health. As a country, we have all this stuff in the closet that we don't want to look at and really deal with. And yet, it, it doesn't go away when we don't look at it. it basically, kind of comes in unconsciously and it, mm-hmm. and and shifts shifts how we think about things. So some of the ways that America is distorted around power, I think, source all the way back to not really looking at and addressing and and healing the um, the original genocide I mean the, it, it's not a small thing that we, we created this country we went from in a very conscious way took out the native populations from 18 million people down to 1 million people in a hundred years I mean that's a bigger genocide than Hitler did with the Jews it's not it's not a small thing and we need to actually heal that and rectify that and we get flare-ups of it but but it until we do that, it's hard for us to be fully connected with this land and fully um, understanding the ways that power can distort as well, and and some of the some subtle racism. So it's a big it's a big project, um, and you know we've done some stuff to in that direction to you know uh, to help help in that healing, but a lot more is needed really on a national level. I think Germany did a great job of of looking at. That what was there? What was what needed to shift in their national psychology that led to Hitler and the and the Holocaust?
4: Mm-hmm. And
3: uh, and that was a their wake up. You know, I think Australia has done some interesting good work with their native peoples and <clears throat> Aboriginals. Um, so you know, and and Canada's starting to do the same now up north. So it's not like it's it's unprecedented. It just. It's important. The more power you wield, to be more rigorous about the shadow work, because it's those those subtle distortions get amplified. And because we are the most powerful nation on the on the earth, we need to be that much more rigorous about doing the shadow work.
2: Right, but not in the sense of of uh, um, I guess maybe saying it another way, in the sense of really looking at ourselves as a whole. In other words, not self-flagellation, you know, about these things, but owning the shadow side as part of the wholeness, you know, of of who we are. You've talked about, you know, us growing up as as a country and that we're still very young in the process. And we don't get there by just feeling bad about these things, there needs to be um, a holistic view, you know, of ourselves, of the positives and, you know, and the negatives, which I I feel like you did a really good job presenting in the book, along with some potential solutions. But one of the other things that you that you mentioned in the book that I that I thought was, um, was really, really worthwhile, and particularly looking at, you know, right now, because there are a lot of people calling for, you know, revolution, that seems to be a word You know, that's been around in this political cycle. And, of course, our country was created by a revolution, and we celebrate that revolution every year on the 4th of July. But you talk about moving from being revolutionaries to being evolutionaries. So what is an evolutionary, and why is this important to America's move forward into the future?
3: To, etymologically to revolve means to go around in a circle so you actually aren't going anywhere you're just going around in a circle <laughs> evolution evolution is going somewhere it has a trajectory it's we're becoming more evolved um, and you can talk about that in computer language operating systems you can talk about it with you know evolution um, to human beings you can talk about the larger evolution of uh, economies and so evolutionaries are really about the growth of ourselves and our society. And to go to a next level, a revolutionary tends to be righteous, have a sense of like i 'm right they 're wrong i 'm going to overthrow them uh, sometimes through violent means, and that tends to create ruptures and schisms and and problems long term because whoever 's been defeated then is resentful and wants to then overthrow again in reverse so an evolutionary is more of a, a call for everybody to evolve everybody 's welcome in an, in American evolution. There, American Revolution. There's one side that wants to win over the other. American evolution. It's really also everybody's welcome. And so, mm-hmm. I think that's what we need now. And we need to be patient. We need to work with people who th- don't think like us. We need to be engaged with our elected representatives and not just you know protesting in the streets and and trying to overthrow you know whatever it is the the one percent the the right wing the left wing Hillary. It's like the revolutionary energy is. Really heated up in our country, and and it ultimately has a kind of ideological violence behind it. And you know, I, I can resonate with it. I mean, my first book was Radical Spirit, and uh, I like I, I like some of that energy. And so I've had to outgrow it myself and recognize that it doesn't really serve uh, ultimately the growth of society to 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 be so polarizing. So we have mm-hmm. to mitigate some of the polarizing, build the bridges heal the schisms and find the places where we can where we can work together. And, you know, even people I was on a panel at the Republican National Convention with uh, Grover Norquist. And he's actually, um, you know, even though he's a a very strong right wing person, like he's doing some interesting transpartisan work around criminal justice reform. Very smart, savvy um, stuff. And so there's there there are bridges that we can build with people around shifts in particular areas and when we work together on some smaller area that helps to build the the fabric of connection that allows us to collaborate on something larger as well
2: right And you talk about in the book, you had a whole chapter on the culture of peace. So, thinking about the things that we've been talking about in this last, you know, 45 minutes or so, um, it can really be overwhelming to think about what we can do as individuals to contribute to this culture of peace that you've been describing. So, what suggestions do you have for our listeners who each have their own personalities, their own abilities? Um, How can we uh, each make a contribution to this new paradigm of our democracy? Well,
3: I think it's, uh, first of all, really seeing that part of our spiritual practice is civic engagement and to do so and doing so in a respectful way that's building allies and crossing whatever divides, um, are are really most important to us it can be left right it could be christian muslim it could be um, rich poor it could these divides that are schisms Is like the more we can really get to know and understand people across the divide it really helps us uh, have more authenticity in our work i think one way that that's very powerful to be active is also just to be aware of a lot of solutions and spread those like i've been to fundraisers with the governor or, or for um Lieutenant Governor uh, Gavin Newsom and I said, "Hey, have you heard about the Bank of North Dakota? It's a public bank and you know it's basically funding infrastructure, returning profits to people, help North Dakota stabilize their economy better than any other state in the country after the downturn." He's like, "No, I'd heard heard about that all." I said, "We should have a Bank of California." You know, someday it's like, uh, and I followed up with him over time and. You know, so it's like, you know, a 30 second engagement like that or a, a phone call into your representative. It's like we start to see the positive potentials and solutions for moving forward that, that a lot of times our elected officials don't even know about. And, mm-hmm. and so we become if we become conversant in what is emerging and what is innovative and what is new, which I've tried to showcase a lot of in my book, Sacred America, Sacred World, um, then it, it gives us more power to to plant those seeds everywhere I go. And then I think it's important for us to choose one or maybe two areas that really have a lot of core passion for us, where, we, where whether it's the um, treatment of animals or child sex slavery or whatever, um, you know, environment, environmental work. Then we go deeper into an area or two that allows us to get more engaged, more connected, and, and work with the organizations that we respect. We, I particularly recommend the Friends Committee on National Legislation because it's a uh, the Quaker group works in a bipartisan way, and they're doing a lot of peace and social justice, but in a way that's very respectful and collaborative. And there's a lot of Republicans they work with as well. So it's it's a great example of how to do that in a be a sacred citizen where where our, their spiritual life is connected to their public participation.
2: No, indeed. So let's spend these last um, few minutes. Um, we probably got about uh, two or three more minutes. So um, talking about your vision for the future and any words of inspiration or encouragement that you'd really like to share with our listeners?
3: Well, I feel like this is a critical time and to see, to see it with divine eyes that, that crisis provides an opportunity for unprecedented growth and to not just contract into our own little bubbles and be fearful and self-protective, but to use this as a time to step into our greater leadership, to put our, spiritual practices and principles into action and so it's going to look different for every one of you out there but to really say this is the time and we are the people who can help this turn this crisis moment into an opportunity to create really something unprecedented we forget that we're we're, we're actually more peaceful on a planetary scale than we've ever been historically yes. um we're, the the amount of people dying every year from war has diminished dramatically. I think we're w- within a, a few decades of creating permanent peace on planet Earth, but it requires each of us who has been doing the deep work, doing the deep inner work to step forward, be a healing infor- influence, to be able to bridge divides, to help our country come back together, to clear out some of the detritus of the, of the last era, which has been a very patriarchal, very aggressive, warlike culture. And we need to kind of have a healing uh, force that, that basically helps to process that through so that we can then birth this vision for a, an extraordinary nation, an extraordinary world that we can create together. I really believe that we can create that, it, but it requires each of us opening our hearts, opening to our deeper um, role in it. And to step forward, and, and really magic can happen. I'll just to close this day of healing and reconciliation, it was a, it was a seed that got planted in me by spirit while I was on the road, and then in D.C. Uh, two months ago, I just was like, oh, it needs to happen here, and right after the election, and I didn't really start activating it until a couple weeks weeks ago, as so I was busy on other things. And you know, in a couple weeks, we've gotten to where you know there's there's locations all over the country. There's Major political figures that are that are involved. were close to landing Stevie Wonder. We're asking Laura Bush and Michelle Obama to participate. And it's I think it's going to turn into something really beautiful. And it and but it just took me being open and then staying connected to that and then connecting that idea to other people. There was a great example in um, in Cleveland with a nun um, named Sister Rita Petruzulio who created had the idea to create a, a, a stand for uh, a stand for love um and a, a circle of love to encircle the city before the Republican National Convention and four thousand people participated and you know I, I think it had a big impact on on uh, on on the, the whole convention being nonviolent. So so you know each of us has the power to create real magic if we step forward and stay aligned and aren't attached always to outcome but just to put one foot in front of the other.
2: Mm. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you for, for joining uh, me today on the Yoga Hour and, and for this really uplifting and, and positive uh, conversation, with which was also very practical, I think, with lots of ideas of how people can participate. And let's give that, I think you said a website one more time?
3: Yeah, the, um, ne- sacredamerica.net is great for um, the book because you get on a list, you'll get more goodies um, for the sacred America, sacred um, world, and the shiftnetwork.com is my company and all kinds. Of courses and programs, and dayofhealing.us is for right after the election. Perfect. Thank you so much. Awesome.
2: You've been listening to the Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for yogacharya O'Brien. We've been discussing higher awareness and the political process with special guest Stephen Dynan, the founder and CEO of The Shift Network and author of Sacred America, Sacred World, fulfilling our mission in service to all. Once again, you can find out more about Stephen and his work with The Shift Network and also his books by going to his website, Stephen Dinan, S-T-E-P-H-A-N com and the shiftnetwork.com Join us next week when I'll be talking with will Keepin about divine love and transformation. Dr. keepin is a mathematical physicist, social activist and leader in the interfaith spiritual practice and author of the book, Belonging to God, Spirituality, Science, and a Universal Path of Divine Love. Tune in as we explore how divine love is found within the core of all the mystical paths of the uh, different faiths and as we discuss its divine, its transformative potential. If you are listening in November 2016 and you're in the San Jose California area. The Yoga Hour's founder and host, Yogacharya O'Brien, will be joined by Swami Bodhananda Sarasvati, a world-renowned teacher of Vedanta and meditation for a retreat at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment from November 10th through November 12th, 2016. You can find out more at csecenter.org. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast at iTunes or Stitcher thank you to the Yoga Hour team and to Jeff Comfort in the sound booth. I look forward to being with you again next week. Until then, remember, carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all that you meet. Bye now.
1: Thank you for tuning into the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien.
5: Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time on Spirit of Recovery, where we talk about what keeps you growing. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
2: Remember when you entered first grade? Did you find it hard to believe you'd ever be able to learn and do all that was expected of you? Do you remember how, through your own consistent effort and the support of your parents and teachers, you did learn the basics and went on to master more complex skills? Life is a process similar to the one we experience in school. As we move through life and attempt to expand our awareness of who we are and what life is all about, we encounter new problems, such as the schoolroom of daily living. We can approach each situation with a positive attitude. Take one step at a time and know it's only a matter of persistence before we arrive at a solution. Repeated efforts will accomplish any undertaking. This Law of Life is brought to you
1: by Unity. To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org.
5: the lotus and the lily and your soul wants five things as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul directed life live thursday at 1 p.m central only on unity online radio the voice of an awakening world go inside to find my god
0: sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed you don't know where to turn